Simon Wollstonecroft is a drummer from Manchester. His first band at school was with Ian Brown and John Squire. His second band became The Smiths. He played with The Fall for 11 years and continues to play drums for Manchester bands today. Johnny Marr nicknamed him Funky Sai. This is Funky Sai's A to Z of Manchester. Hello Simon, how are you? Good evening Jackie, very well thank you. What have you been up to? Well, I've been watching Alan Partridge again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what a brilliant comedian he is. He's the king of comedy for me, Steve Coogan. Steve Coogan, or do you like the character? I like the character. Yeah. Do, you, do you like the other stuff Steve does? Yeah, I do. Yeah, he's a, he's a good actor, isn't he? When he was in days. 24 Hour Party People, he was the perfect choice to play Tony Wilson. Absolutely, you know, brilliant. But Alan Partridge, what a character. Yes, and uh, it still makes me laugh as much as, as it did back then, you know, 20-odd years ago, I think, more maybe, when it first came out. So I always have an interest in uh, anything he's in. He was in that Laurel Nardi film. He was brilliant in that, Yeah, he was he? good, yeah. yeah. So he's not a one-trick pony, that's no. for sure. That's a really nice little film, that Laurel and Hardy film. It is, mm. yeah, yeah. Interesting story, that basically Hollywood sort of shunned them playing in little, well, not little, smallish music halls around the England. It was heartbreaking, wasn't it, at the end of their career? Yeah. I guess that's what happens a lot. You know, people get chewed up and spat out, you know, and they're no good anymore. <laughs> well, it's because time moves on, doesn't it? So you're yeah. seen as old-fashioned. Yeah, that's right. Fashion's But it's funny out. because, yeah, they do come and go, and suddenly you and can... They come back round again They do. Often. That's what Tony Wilson said, of course. You know, the, the music... Um, History repeats itself, keeps coming back again. I think again. if you just hang on in there. Yeah, long enough. Yeah. If the talent's there, <laughs> come on, Simon, we can hang on in there. <laughs> I liked his brother's band, that song they had, uh, Can You Dig It? Mock Turtles. Yeah. And he wrote a lot of the music, didn't he, for the Alan Partridge film? Right, did he? Yeah, and the. The, the Alpha Papa one? Yeah, and the jingles. Because right. it was set in a radio station, obviously. Yeah. Oh, he wrote them. He wrote it? all of those, yeah. He used to rehearse in that bunker-like building in Cheetham Hill where I had a new order owned it. You know, as well as Doves and loads of other people, I was there with the fall. But that was obviously after me uh, when he was there. Uh, but I've never met him. But yeah, talented family. A very talented there, family. And I do, I do like that thing, the trip, um, where they go on... Feeding the faces, you know, right? With Rob Brydon? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I haven't warmed to that one yet. Right. I just find it a bit indulgent. Okay. I, I like his put downs, uh, it's Coogan's put downs. I think it's very quick. Yeah, what, they've got. Much a, quicker than Rob. They've got a good dynamic. That's what I mean. Yeah, but I, I just don't. That's what sells it, I think. It is. I know what you mean. You're not fully convinced yet. But I do get a laugh out of it um, when Steve Coogan's, you know, up, up there. So I do like Rob Brydon too. Yeah, I do. Very similar, aren't they? They're not related, are they? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I loved Alan when he lived in the motel. Yeah, well, I think uh, what a great idea that was. I did meet Steve Coogan once, so at the um, Alan Weiser's Creditors Ball at the Naya Centre in Hume. He used to have a creditors' ball um, every year for the people who owe money to. <laughs> but he was there and he'd been on TV uh, when he was doing Pauline Calf and, you know, all those characters. 
And it's one of them situations where you just think, oh, I know him, there's my mate. You know, I, I realised who it was, but he was dead cool about it. And I remember Ian telling me he was in uh, Candles once in the home furnishings department. <laughs> and he met Steve Coogan. Steve Coogan said, aren't we middle class? <laughs> Okay, it's week 17, so it's the letter Q. Blime, it's flying by this, isn't it, Jackie? It really is. So what's your first Q? My first Q is the band Quando Quango. Have you heard of them? Yes. Right. Have, have I mentioned them before? No, I don't think so. When I was in the Hacienda, I used to hang out in Mike Pickering's DJ box with Andrew Berry. This would have been about 83, 84. And uh, I got invited by Mike Pickering, who went on to form M people, with Heather Small, to play drums with his band. So I kind of went for a sort of an audition, really, at the Spirit Studios. Again, it keeps cropping up, that one, on Tarras Street in the northern quarter, uh, downstairs. Great little place. And they expanded later, you know, to a big academy opposite the Apollo. John Brakehall, who ran the place. He did very well, you know, for Manchester there. That was years ago. But Quando uh, Quango... Yeah, they were, they were great. They were sort of um, a bit like the Thompson Swins, sort of new wave, sort of punky funk. It was Mike and a girl from Rotterdam called Gonny. She had a bike, one of those big Dutch bikes, black one, you know, old-fashioned like you'd have in World War Two. And uh, I always remember that. Lovely she was. But I went down anyway, and they'd had a bit of success with a, a song called Love Tempo, and uh, another one, Atom Rock. They're good. But I got in there and uh, with, a, with a view to joining, you know, Mike and Gonny. Well, we did this song called Go Exciting. I never claimed to be the best drummer in the world, but I had a weird time signature. I just couldn't get my head round it. Back then, I, well, I would have been about 21 or something, I think. Just couldn't get it, and it sort of really threw me, and I just t- didn't enjoy the the moment, so nothing really happened, and I quit. I think they did one album, maybe, Quando Quango, and they, they called it a day, you know. I think Mike might have been very busy doing the DJing by then. Great DJ again. He ran a, a record company called Deconstruction. You know, he worked with a guy who was looking after Terry Hall, who I, you know, I met back in 84 as well. Good label. I've seen Mike a couple of times. I saw him at the Moving Festival. Now, was it last year or the year before? He was there and he was, he was lovely, just like he always was, you know, smiling. I see pictures of him, of him on telly, you know, and the city are playing, you know, with Noel and Johnny and everybody. I went there once to um, Main Road, not Main Road, Eastlands, Wastelands. Roy, <laughs> do you mean the Etihad? I do. And uh, where they had the stage round the back, you know, yes. with bands. And Johnny was there and he, he must have been doing a talk. He must have had his guitar out because he always has his guitar out. But I seen him and he did his set. I think I got there just as he finished. And uh, I went, hey, Johnny. He says, what are you doing here? <laughs> Come to see you, I said. But uh, um, I forgot where I was now. So, uh, yeah, that was the end of that, really. Is there no recording of you with them? No, it was just a, uh, an audition, basically. It's not the sort of thing, you know, you did then, 
you know, recording auditions, not in a little place like that anyway, down the cellar. So was it your decision to quit? Yeah, I just couldn't get my head around this thing and it did my head in. It's like a sort of quite a Latin jazz sort of reggae disco mix And did they end up stuff. bringing it out? Yeah, they'd, well, I've heard. I've heard, heard the record, but I don't think it's a real drummer on it, the thing I heard. So, yeah, that, that's, that was Quando Quango. OK, my next cue, I'm going to go with the song Queen Bitch, David Bowie Bowie. When, when wait I... a minute, wait a minute. Let's clear <laughs> this up now. OK. Are you a Bowie or a Bowie? I'm a Bowie, generally. Right, that's not right. No. I suppose it's wrong to call somebody, pronounce the name wrong. If you know it's, in fact, the wrong way. <laughs> so and, it's and David t- Bowie from now on. Good man. So it's Queen Bitch by David Bowie. <laughs> when I finished drumming with Ian... 2000, 2001, I joined uh, basically a covers band playing pubs around Altrincham and Sale. And it was just one of the songs that, uh, well, I really wanted to do that one. But we ended up doing Suffragette City in the set. You know, the usual suspects, the undertones, Clash. Um, who else did we do? Uh, REM. Not a big fan of REM, if I'm honest. I like that. Um, Orange Crush, and what's the frequency, Kenneth? That's quite good. I don't think we could get the sound of that one because it's quite a 12-string guitar on it and uh, Mick Ronson, you know, blaring out. Superb record, I love it. I didn't really get a lot of Bowie records. I had Gene Genie and Rebel Rebel on the RCA, the orange label that the suite were on. I had, you know, pretty much everything the suite brought out I had. And I did get to see Bowie um, on the Glass Spiders <clears> tour. Bowie. Bowie. <laughs> At Main Road. Did you ever go to Main Road, Jackie? To watch City <laughs> or, or to, to watch a gig? Because I did well, both. Both, yeah. Yeah, I did right, both. Did. Right. Um, at school when you had, to do a, you had to do a talk. Okay, that was your talk. I did my talk on David Bowie. Oh, interesting. That's how much I loved him. Right. I mean, devastated. The morning that, you know, we found out he was no longer no, with us. Right, blimey. I had to do a radio show. I was absolutely devastated. Yeah. It was unbelievable, wasn't he? Yeah. What's your favourite Bowie record? Oh, there's too many. There I love them all. I love um, Station to Station's my favourite mm-hmm. album. So I can put that on any time and listen to it. But there's loads, Driving Saturday. It depends what mood you're in. That's the great thing about David Bowie. Yeah, you always get Yeah, even China Girl, which I don't think's great, but sometimes I think it's great. I do, yeah. There's nothing like him, you know, when he came on TV. The early 70s there. But going back to the covers bands, <laughs> I mentioned before, it's okay doing it for a wage and a bit of fun, but I just couldn't get into being in a you know, copyist band. I know there's some good ones. Australian Doors I saw once that were amazing because I couldn't really see them because the lights weren't um, that bright but the sound of them was just amazing Pink Yeah, I think fl- if you're going to make a career out of it and you're going to go for it Yes Who's the best one you've seen? I've seen, there was the bootleg Beatles were very good Okay Have you seen them? No, I've heard they're, they're very good Yeah, they do They come back every year to the Apollo Wow Christmas Yeah um, They always put on a good show Okay 
don't know. I don't. I probably wouldn't go and see many tribute bands. No, I did get offered a job in, in an REM tribute band, but I'm not really into REM that much, as I say. So thought, thanks, but no thanks. You know, if I was going to do it, I don't know who it'd be. Who would I choose? Well, sweet. Yeah, why not? It's Clash. a bit of fun, isn't it? A yeah. bit, bit of fun. You'd, but you'd have a great night, wouldn't you? Because you'd be playing all your favourite songs. Yeah, yeah. And you, yeah, you wouldn't have to learn them, would you? You could do half the night as sweet. Is it the sweet or sweet? Sweet. Right. Sweet. So half the night as sweet and half the night as the Clash. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think I'd concentrate on one or the other if I was going to do it. But I'm not planning, so... No. <laughs> Anytime soon. Okay, what's your next cue? Right, well, it's the film Quadrophenia, which uh, came out in 1979, about the mods and rockers fighting down in Brighton. It's making the front pages of all the papers, you know, on the bank holiday week. And Phil Daniels, great actor, you know, a bit of a jack the lad. He's got a scooter, he meets up with his club. And it's, you know, quite tribal and everything. Sting's in it, of course. Uh, looks great, you know, in his suit. <laughs> Some nice-looking scooters, but I never really got into scooters or bikes, come to that. My mum, who was a nurse at Withenshaw, Simon promised me you won't ever, ever get a motorbike, so I stuck by that. Scooters, same thing, I was just into cars, really. Uh, John and Ian had uh, scooters. Uh, Ian had a really fast one. It went 85 mile an hour, <laughs> <laughs> I can't get over it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I remember when I wrote, uh, was writing my book, I showed it Ian and I was describing his scooter because he kept it in his kitchen, in Hume, in his pink flat. In his kitchen? Yeah. Well, where else he th- going to put it? <laughs> did he think somebody was going to nick it? Yeah, probably. Uh, if you'd known it round there in those times. <laughs> I said, oh, it had loads of mirrors on it. And anyway, Ian saw this and he sort of bolts at it. <laughs> I said, no, sir, I didn't have them. I didn't have any mirrors on mine. People are quite um, precious about their taste, I think, the way they do it up, the scooter. Oh, of course. You know, I didn't realise. But uh, great film. It was Ian who got a job uh, with a a mod suit, brogues, uh, selling caravans and caravan accessories down up past uh, Hazel Grove there. Andy Cousins has... Uncle's caravan business. He used to go down there on his scooter. Ian Brown was selling caravans. Yeah, and accessories. Yeah. And accessories, let's not forget yeah. that. A bit like, you know, Phil Daniels was doing, you know, the day job and he was going in, you know, looking dead smart. But uh, in the end, of course, you know, Phil Daniels realises Sting's, in fact, just a porter for the whole, you know, the hotel and it's, you know, he's been chucked out of his house and it. Sort of his whole world comes crumbling down. But interesting. We really liked it, that film, even though I didn't get a scooter or a motorbike. The next one is Q for the Queen of Hearts. Now, <laughs> I was on a plane uh, with the fall coming from San Francisco, Boston, uh, TWA, Jetliner, TriStar, I think it was. It wasn't very full, but I got to chat into the um, cabin attendant, they call now, aren't they? 
you know, she kept plying me with drinks or free booze. <laughs> and at the end of the day, um, when we got to Boston International, she, she gave me this queen of... We were playing cards. She was trying to show me a card trick, but I couldn't get it because I was, I was getting sozzled. <laughs> Simon, she wasn't taking any money off you, was she? <laughs> no. <laughs> OK, just checking. So she, uh, when, when I got off the plane, she gave me this... Queen of Hearts, you know, with a phone number at the hotel. <laughs> so it's, you know, a bit of a love interest on that. So, you know, it's like a holiday um, romance, if you like. Well, how lovely. Yeah. That's like something from a film. <laughs> no, but isn't it? Yeah, so you're, well, you're in a band, you're on a flight, mm, the flight attendant... Living the dream. Living the dream. <laughs> she's pretending, she's thinking, he really wants to know how to play cards. <laughs> <laughs> You're going, show us again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> She's thinking, for goodness right. sakes. Yeah, but the carrier name and TWA and, uh, well, she snuck me into the Intercontinental <laughs> where they're all staying. You're not supposed to. And I saw her a few times after and uh, she had a water bed uh, back in the West Coast. OK, you know, we don't need to know anymore. <laughs> She, came, she, she actually come and stayed up with mum and dad's. This was a uh, 86, it would have been. Yeah, she came to Hey Luciani. I thought so. Yeah, I thought she did. <laughs> she flew over to, to see you. Right, right. I remember meeting her. Do you? That's crazy, isn't yeah. it? I remember Bricks and Marsha from the band getting quite protective over me. <laughs> I don't know why. But uh, that was, it was very touching. And do you know, yeah. and do you know what? She was absolutely stunning looking. Yes, yeah. Well, I've got. I think I have got a picture of her. You know, in a uniform. Um, <laughs> I was always attracted to you know cabin attendants. You know, I think a lot of people are, aren't they? But uh, yeah, it was, it was unfolding before my very eyes. <laughs> So, have you kept the card, the Queen of Hearts? Yeah, and the badge, the TWA badge she gave me. It's like, a, you know, gold badge. Not real gold. Shape of a wing <laughs> <laughs> that you put on the uniform. And she gave me that. Yeah, but of course, I'm fascinated by planes, aviation. Told you that before. So, I was asking Kerry all about the plane she was working on, stuff like that. And uh, I asked her, when a plane takes off, at the back end there, why does it scrape the ground sometimes? You never hear about that. And she, she sort of uh, said, oh, uh, I don't know, but I'm going to ask the captain that. We'll <laughs> fly to <laughs> She's thinking, is he ever going to go out with me? He won't stop talking about flying. <laughs> I, I do love it, flying. And have you kept the card? The Queen of the Hearts card? The card, no, unfortunately. But the badge, yeah, I've still got it. That's nice to know that boys yeah. keep things like girls do. Yeah, but uh, TWA went bust, didn't they, you know, years ago. And, and Mormon, Mormon Airlines started by Howard Johnson, you know, the inventor, multi-millionaire, who invented that bird, the goose, was it, that great big plane that hardly got off the ground. You know, it's an engine. It's that heavy. It was made of wood. There could have been a floor in that plan somewhere. I think there must have been. So the lovely Kerry, yeah, and the romance, the Queen of Hearts, the Queen of Hearts. Uh, I wonder how she's doing, Kerry, out there. She's still in America, I believe. So, hi, Kerry, if you're listening. <laughs> 
right, my next cue, Quality Street chocolates. Specifically the tin that they came in. What's your favourite chocolate? Oh, do you know what? I like... The squashy ones, so I like the orange ones, the strawberry ones. Yeah, Usually I the do. ones that. I do. Oh, do you? Yeah. We're very similar, Simon. <laughs> um, because normally people say, oh, no, they're horrible, they're sickly, but I like them. I do, yeah. I can eat them again, <laughs> one after the other. In fact, they go through them all. But um, yeah, Quality Street. Now, when they came in tins when I was younger, those tins were probably about 10, 12 inches deep. And I used to use them for uh, drums, basically, with mum's knitting needles, thickest uh, needles that she had. But the, nowadays, the plastic and they're... Uh, and they're really shallow. an inch thick. <laughs> and also, I think they rounded the edges. They're not even round anymore. But, uh, yeah, I started off playing the drums on Quality Street Tins, two of them, you know, up in the back bedroom there. That'll be after Christmas. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Because but, nobody was getting them any other time of year, not in the seventies. No, they weren't, were they? No. But I, I still do like to have a, a, you know, a tub of quality straight. You know, at Christmas if every, I'm lucky, I get one every year. Yeah. And uh, what's your least favourite? The coconut. Oh, I don't yeah. mind the coconut ones. Right. I never like Bounty or um, the other what they call. Oh, I love a Bounty. Do you? Yeah. What were the red ones? Were they Bounty? Yeah. yeah. Blue Bounty and Red Bounty. Yeah, one was dark chocolate and one was milk. Ah, OK. Yeah, the dark chocolate ones are the greatest. But what about, like, the Toffee Penny? Where'd... I love them. What about the long stick ones? You know, batons. <laughs> <laughs> the Toffee Batons. You know what I mean? I do, yeah. You know, it's not the shape of a penny. <laughs> what they call them. <laughs> Let's call them the Toffee Batons. <laughs> <laughs> toffee log. Toffee log, I think yeah. They call the toffee log, aren't they? Okay. You like them as well? Yeah, I do. I like them all apart from the uh, coconut ones. But uh, after a while, my dad bought some tubs of uh, plaster or something, or some sort of paste, wallpaper paste. I progressed onto them. Oh, Sound to practice them? Yeah, back at home. I've always sort of, uh, you know, had a thing about Quality Street. One of the World of Twists album covers has this kind of Quality Street um, effect about it. Well, that was the name of the album. That's right, then. Yeah, there you go, you see. So they sort of must have touched other people as well. Oh, yeah. My I think, age over the years. I think everybody loved Quality Street. I think that horrible man of the army, you should have especially you know, from uh, Luton Airport on his plane. Who uh, did? The army. Eddie Armin liked Quality Street. Yeah, and he, he used to have a flight that come every week from Luton Airport full of, you know, goodies, and, uh, you know. Simon, how do you yeah. know this information? Well, I must have read one of his uh, biography on him, uh, Eddie Armin. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible man. But loved the toffee log. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> OK, my next cue, Quincy Jones, the record producer. Now, I know he's not from Manchester, but he has influenced me in things that I like. He's got another worldly production sound that he gets out of his records that sound like they're out in space, you know, twinkly. People talk about producing records and putting glitter dust on them. He's the man for that, although he's a great musician. He's getting on now, he's nearly 90. 
won 80 Grammy nominations, 80. Can you believe that? That's crazy, isn't it? And he shares his birthday with Michael Caine. What date's that then? I think it's sometime in March, but they share a birthday, the exact same date and year. So they have joint birthday parties. Well, that's I, amazing. I want to go to their birthday I parties. I want to go too. I think it, they've got another three years and then they're going to be 90. Right, well, a jazz cat, you know, hanging out with Ray Charles and what have you. Um, just the best arranger, composer, string arranger. Production guy, worked with Frank Sinatra, George Benson, did one of my favourite records, Off Broadway by George Benson, instrumental, and uh, A No Carida, which is on the radio today, which got me thinking about Quincy. George Benson gave me the night album, didn't he? Great album. Yeah, just brilliant. But it takes you to some other different place. You know, his, his production techniques and what what have you it's just got it makes you feel really good mm. it's a you know it's just great and he does seem like a really nice man he seems that everybody that he's worked with really liked him and seemed to enjoy the process yeah absolutely a true musician he really is it wasn't just jacko although all that stuff off uh, off the wall and most of thriller just uh, the benchmark really the production. Do you ever see uh, Michael Jackson? No. No, I didn't either. Saw Prince. I think Prince. He, he was Michael Jackson was a bit jealous of Prince. I read in uh, another autobiography. Biography. I saw Prince. Saw yeah. him playing Birmingham. He was unbelievable. Which tour did you see him on? Um, it was early nineties. So is that okay? Alph- Alphabet Street time. About nineteen ninety one. Yeah. Right. I seen him at Main Road. I forgot what the tour was called. You're but... non-stop at Main Road. <laughs> well, well, I only went there. To, uh, I've never seen a match there, but I have been to the Etihad loads of times to see City play. Of course you have. Over the years. Well, there's all them empty seats. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love Quincy. Yeah, we do. Quincy Jones, he's one of the best ever. Next cue is the band Queen, who my mum absolutely loved, loved Freddie Mercury. I remember buying um, on EMI Records Seven Seas of Rye when it came out. Oh, my mum must have bought it me because it would have been nine. What a great Queen record that is. I did, there was sort of a bit of a, well, guilty pleasure, if you like, for a while. Don't know why I think that with Queen. Did, did you like Queen? Yeah, it's, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because I know what you mean. Yeah. They were never seen as, as trendy enough. No, not really. But the music was great. Yeah, it was very theatrical with Freddie. I think I might have told you this before. My mate Rufy uh, bought a pair of glitter boots, thigh-eye boots off him, at Kensington Market in London, before Seven Seas or I come out. You know... Oh, great big thigh boots, flying <laughs> boots, English, so big heels. <laughs> I said, have you still got them? He said, no, but he's got some other bits of clobber, you know, vintage clobber that he bought down in London there, Rufy. And he bought them off? Off Freddie Mercury. Yeah, he was working the market stall. And they were on doing that live aid and all that. I mean, getting everybody to clap. <laughs> yeah, people love that, don't they? You know, kids like that, they like doing that. 
you know, if you get a little kid on a, a drum kit, say, do you know Queen? Do you know this song? <laughs> Sometimes they do, and they'll, you know, they'll really, their faces light up if they can get near it, you know. <laughs> they were one of the highlights, they were Live Aid. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, uh, I love the, the Queen film, Bohemian Rhapsody, named after the song which was recorded down there in South Wales, we were talking about the other day, Rockfield. Well, I liked it. I think it's had mixed views, I think, that one. Would you say? Yeah, it was good. I mean, Rami Malek was brilliant. I yeah, thought, it was, yeah. As Freddie. I just thought it it's such a sad story. Yeah, it's kind of a sort of seen this before, haven't we? You know, big pop stars, uh, fading away sort of thing, to a land of oblivion or whatever. Uh, it was a great joke in it when when Freddie Mercury was working at Heathrow Airport with them baggage handlers. <laughs> you know, he was a singer and he was telling them about it. Like, You'll never get anywhere with teeth like that. <laughs> Bless him. I know. So yeah, Freddie Mercury, Queen. Can you name the rest of Queen? Yeah, I remember Roger Taylor, the drummer, because I met his band. He was he had an, another band on the side called The Cross. I'd never really heard them, but they were all, you know, on the ferry coming back uh, from France and the four were on the same uh, ferry. Uh, Roger uh, Deacon, what's his first John Deacon. John Deacon. Now, what's that song uh, where he plays like a really funky bass line? He wrote it, I think. Uh, it's one of the best Queen songs. You know, he's very good, John Deacon. The other guy with a uh, guitar made out of the piano at his house that his dad made, with a big hair, what's he called? Brian May. <laughs> Brian May. <laughs> yeah. Can't deny a great guitarist. It's an interesting story, that, though, about the guitar. His dad made it for him, didn't he? I don't know. Well, they made it together out of the piano or the sideboard that they had at the house. That little red guitar he plays. You must have seen it. He always plays that when you see him in Queen. Wow. And, um, well, somebody bought the franchise off him. They make, you know, guitars like that. But he used to play it with a sixpence, I think, not a plectrum. And it was made out of his uh, dad's sideboard. <laughs> you don't half know some interesting facts, Simon. <laughs> I thought everybody knew that. Did you ever see them live? Did you say that? No, no, I didn't. No, I didn't, but I would like to have seen them live. Be a big show, wouldn't Their it? Their greatest hits would be a great show. Right. I did buy a couple of albums as well, but uh, then punk started and that was the end of that. Uh, you know, I never bought any after that. But, uh, but they've stood the test of time. Yeah, they certainly have, haven't they? Because the kids still like to hear Queen tracks now. On the radio, you mean? Well, anywhere. Yeah. You see, now they've got a new singer, Adam Lambert. It just uh, doesn't do it for me. Everybody says, oh, he's brilliant. It's just the same, exactly the same as Freddie Mercury. But just the fact that I know he's not the same just puts me off straight away. It does, but think about the other three in the band. They want to continue playing. Do they, though? And it's their songs. What, do you think Adam's forcing them to do it? <laughs> well, when was the last time they went on the road with a new singer? Well, I don't know, but I'm sure that they do actually want to still do it. 
when you're in a band and you lose a member of that band, even somebody like Freddie Mercury, mm. and you want to continue, yeah. what else are you supposed to do? Well, it depends who you are, I suppose. Um, I can't speak for them, but must be quite, well, very wealthy. <laughs> and if they really love doing it and they've still got the strength to carry on because they're older than me. <laughs> <laughs> if you can still lift up your guitars, lads, and play your drums, <laughs> then you carry on. <laughs> if you have lost a member of your band and you want to continue, what else are you supposed to do, though? Yeah, well, the same thing out with Joy Division, isn't it? They carried on, put some great music out since then. Better, some of it, I think, than Joy Division, really. You know, New Order. Done some great stuff over the years. So I suppose it depends what kind of characters you've got, you know, in the band. But I bet everybody feels like they don't want to carry on without the singer. Especially when you had nothing, maybe. You just think, oh, start again. Some, you know, another group somewhere else, I would, I think. Especially if it was a friend who I knew who had passed away, the singer. It was very, very difficult to, to get somebody else to replace, you know, somebody who you admired and you were a friend of. Well, that's what Adam Lambert says. He says, I'm not replacing Freddie. Right, replacing, yeah. I'm doing my own thing. Doing my own spin on it. Fair yeah. enough. Um I don't think I'd go and see them if I got offered a ticket with this new guy, to be honest. Just like I wouldn't go and see the suite. Well, there's only one of them left now. <laughs> OK, we're going to need a soundtrack for the letter Q. What have you got? I've got I Wish by Stevie Wonder. I've got A No Corrida by Quincy Jones with Dune which we've been talking about today. The Stomp, Brothers Johnson. Van Brand 2000, Drinking in LA. An eruption, I Can't Stand the Rain. Great stuff. OK, well, we'll see you next week. OK, bye for now. This podcast was produced and edited by John. Post-production is by Carl Svensson at Tadar Media Limited. Music by Colin McGrath, Joe Brown, Johnny Smale and Simon Wollstonecroft. And the artwork is by Lee Dyer. This has been Funky Size A to Z of Manchester. Thanks for listening to Funky Size A to Z of Manchester. If you're enjoying this series, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.